You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, and I will be your host today. And today we have the honor of speaking with Ted Bird, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Dymacron and also has several other endeavors that he is doing at this point in time. So we are excited to have him on the podcast to share his journey. So without further ado, Ted, how are you today? I'm doing great, Eric. Pleasure to connect with you and been following your Ortho Idea podcast for a while now. And thanks for doing what you're doing. It's a field that I've dedicated my professional career to and There's a lot. Everyone's got a story. That is true. Everybody has a story. And I really appreciate you coming on because not only your background is fascinating, but just some of the things that you're doing right now. And we had in our pre-podcast call, we talked about some different things and some different things that you are doing. So this is going to be exciting. But for our listeners who don't know who Ted Bird is, if you could tell us a little bit about your background and what brought you to this point in time. Sure. So... I am an orthopedic industry lifer. I escaped from orthopedics for about 18 months in my almost 40-year career, and it drug me back in. So I, Always I was, does. Exactly. I was fortunate to just be in the right place at the right time you know, coming out of college, and I met an individual who I count as one of my mentors, ultimately, who was running a sports medicine arthroscopy company at that time. In fact, the leading company in the space, which is now part of Smith & Nephew. It used to be called Dionics. He tapped me on the shoulder and gave me an opportunity after meeting him to become a sales rep for that company and then get into international sales and marketing roles at a very young age in my early to mid-20s. Because I grew up in the age of 10, I was also very fortunate to move to the UK and did my schooling in England, where they you know, they required foreign language classes. So I still maintain some of that with French and German. And I think that helped me when I was starting my career to get into that international track. And I feel fortunate to have done that. So now, you know, moving through that chain of events, for me, I moved from international sales and marketing into domestic roles, starting with product management roles, where you get exposed as a product manager in an orthopedic company to the whole business from not just supporting the sales force, but also the product development engineering team, the operations team, the quality team, the regulatory team. So you really get exposed like a mini general manager type training. And I was able to do that with companies like well, Boston Scientific, when I briefly stepped out of orthopedics, the microvasive division, but Johnson & Johnson Orthopedics before it was you know, part of Depew and Depew Synthes, and then Danic in the 90s, Danic, sophomore Danic, Medtronic, sophomore Danic. So 32 years ago, through my network of associates that I'd worked with at other orthopedic companies, one career opportunity led to another through that network. So the folks I work with at Richards, which is before it was Smith and Nephew, most of them moved over a couple streets over from Brooks Road in Memphis to Director's Row, where it was originally, to Danic Medical. And I got to work with names that many people in the orthopedic industry are familiar with, like Ron Pickard, L.D. Beard, 
Alex Lukianoff and others, Mike Sherman, that got things started there at Danik. That was a tremendous run, Eric, in the 1990s and learned the essential formula for success. And I keep that kind of in my management portfolio and playbook today, which is keeping the customer at the core of everything you do strategy-wise, that if your engineers are designing products and they're not going into the operating room to seeing what the surgeons are getting frustrated with, then it's going to be, as many of us have heard from surgeons, an engineer's dream and a surgeon's nightmare. So many important lessons learned through that period and went on to work for Medtronic acquired the company in 1999. I left soon after that, knowing that it was going to be a different type of culture and work mostly with smaller startup companies. So I've worked for big companies like Johnson & Johnson, companies like Medtronic, mid-sized companies like Orthofix, where I ran the spinal implants division, to in recent years, really focusing on smaller startup organizations in orthopedics and spine, just because things move faster and it's more disruptive and innovation is more current and able to move with those smaller companies and the larger companies. So I enjoy working with companies like that, supporting companies like that. And that's what I'm focused on today. Well, that's great. Well, thank you. Well, your experience is phenomenal. And a lot of those names people will recognize from the past. And I know exactly was I did my couple of stints at Smith and Nephew, which remember it when it was Richards before. So we all know exactly what sophomore Danik and places like that. Well, now you have some different things that you're doing. You're obviously the chief strategy officer at Dimacron. You're also an advisor to several different businesses. What is, and I know you have Ted Bird Consulting, so Bird Consulting. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So the last sort of leadership team role that I had with a fairly small to growing to mid-sized company was Titan Spine, a company in the spine industry with inner body surface technology for inner body implants with an additive titanium process that created a nanotechnology surface that allowed bone to grow very quickly. So I was chief commercial officer there, helped them grow and ultimately get acquired by Medtronic in 2019. So after that, I basically have always kept my bird medical consulting business open to primarily help small companies with go-to-market commercial strategy, fundraising strategy, or management consulting. A lot of the times for outside the U.S., international companies that are looking for access into the U.S. market and want to connect with key opinion leader surgeons in this space, investors in this space, or subject matter experts, be it regulatory, be it quality, be it reimbursement. My network kept all of those lines really strong. So a couple of years ago, I ran into a friend of mine who was an engineer at Medtronic for a 20-year career, one of the strongest spine engineers I'd worked with. He left and he let me inform me he was leaving to join a company in Utah called Dimacron. So I saw him at a meeting and I asked him to show me this product. And we all remember in our careers, times when we were stopped in our tracks, when we saw something truly next level, next generation. And I asked him to show me this artificial disc that Dimacron had developed. And when he pulled it out of his pocket and showed it to me in his hand, it stopped me in my tracks. You know, mm. there's two big differences with this product. One is the material. It's a material that defeats the wear debris problem in orthopedic implants. It's the founder invented the process to manufacture 
man-made diamond or polycrystalline diamond on a wear-bearing surface. And he actually started with a total hip, with a hip ball and, and a socket 20 years ago out of the material science department of BYU. That morphed into a cervical artificial disc about 10 years ago. As that market has really picked up steam, it's one of the fastest growing segments in the spine. So they married this material with a very unique engineering design for an articulating surface in the spine using a trilobe, three lobes and three sockets. Very different to all of the other artificial discs out there that are a ball and socket design in general and generally made of plastic, either peak or polyethylene or metal or ceramic, and they all create some measure of wear debris. So Dimacron's, again, looking at this product and grabbing it out of my colleague's hand, this shiny black material said, tell me more about that. And most people say, well, you know, that's an interesting coating. And this first response is, it's not a coating. It's actually pure man-made from scratch, you know, diamond, man-made diamond, and it's polished and it, you can't produce wear debris. And so that combined with the three lobes, which creates more natural kinematics, drew me to this company and I asked them, how can I help? So they hired me as a consultant, asked me to join their board. And ultimately, as I did more and more, they asked if I would join their leadership team. And that's what I've been doing for the past two and a half to three years as chief strategy officer to help guide them towards and into an FDA PMA study, which is required in the U.S., to continue to expand their commercialization efforts outside the U.S. with a CE mark that they have, and to help them with fundraising, because doing a study through a client with a class three product is a very expensive process today, and quite a bit of money is needed. So I focused on those things for Dimacron. Wow, that's great. So you and I had a conversation before this podcast, and we talked about funding. And so you have a very interesting perspective slash thought process behind funding that you're going to, I will let you explain what you're going to do, because this is very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So those of you in the audience that have experience with fundraising or have been part of companies, smaller companies, looking to raise capital I would say it's one of the two top priorities for a startup company, either if you have an idea that you want to start a company with or you're a surgeon or have a surgeon friend that wants to start a company, there's two problems. One is getting the funding, the capital to get it you know, to where it needs to be to be successful. And number two is the right people, you know, hiring the right people to do that for you. So in my opinion, the combination of funding and talent and making good choices about your strategy going forward, you know, and strategy number three are the three most important things. If you have in spine, if you're in the spine market and have been out trying to raise money with institutional capital, that's either venture capitalists, private equity, or even just wealthy, you know, individuals that are part of a family office fund, there's been a lot of failures in startup spine companies over the past couple of decades. And so they're generally leery of spinal hardware and devices. And so it's difficult to fund that product. Second, more difficult problem is if you have a class three device that requires a PMA study, which is a five to seven year timeline and a 25 to up to $50 million per trial, that's a lot of money and a lot of time for institutional capital to invest their funds. 
They want to see that money returned, you know, much faster. And their expectations, they don't want any risk, you know, for it. So knowing that, having raised funds, you know, for other spying companies and then having that experience with Dimicron 2, I learned two years ago about a new channel for private companies to raise money. And it's from the public. It's basically online fundraising. It's a new area called equity crowdfunding. And this is based off of the U.S. government, Congress, passing a law called the Jobs Act and back in 2012. I think it was finally worked out and unveiled in about 2015-16. But JOBS stands for Jumpstart Our Business Startups in the United States. Hmm. What was happening is the route to capital fundraising was killing off many companies that were entering the well-known term valley of death and many of them not making it because they couldn't raise the funds to continue, but they also couldn't get to the public markets you know, successfully. The, the pipeline of private companies able to fund through the public markets was very, very short compared to competitive countries that were outpacing us like China. So there was a big incentive for the Congress to do that. So what they did is they established this process where you could go online and approach unaccredited investors if you completed certain qualifications. Hmm. So two years ago in 2021, they updated those caps that you could raise from $1 million a year to $5 million a year for what's called a regulation CF or crowdfunding. So that's $5 million a year is a significant amount of money for a small startup. And the hurdle's not too bad. You don't have to go and get qualified by the SEC like you would as if you're doing becoming a public company. The second avenue was a $10 million raise if you wanted to go the route of getting SEC qualified and making sure you had two years of audited financials. They raised that limit from $10 million to $75 million a year. Wow. Pretty significant. So when I was told about this, I became a student and started attending all the webinars and learning everything I could about equity crowdfunding because there weren't really many med tech companies that were taking advantage of these new laws. It was mostly mom and pop private companies, whether it was, you know, hot dog stands or breweries or cannabis mm. growers were doing this, but not very many med tech companies. But right when I was studying it, there's an orthopedic company called Monogram Orthopedics based out of Austin, Texas now that has a 3D printed total knee and a robotic end effector to more accurately make the cuts, you know, more accurate than the Mako striker system. They raised during the pandemic through two separate raises and platforms, $35 million through a Reg A two times. And so I took notice of that. Wow. Wow. And now when you say they raise this money in unaccredited investors, and I know quite a few people on the call are kind of are on the podcast are saying, okay, what exactly are you speaking about? An unaccredited investor is anybody can invest. And essentially it's online. It's just, I mean, it, lack of a better term, it's Kickstarter. Is that yeah, essentially it, it, what it is? Well, yeah, that's a hurdle I had to overcome, you know, because most people heard of Kickstarter or, or GoFundMe or something like yep, that. Yep. And that's what my board initially thought when I suggested. <laughs> so I'm glad I said Kickstarter. They're excited about that. <laughs> that You know, yes, but it's anyone. You, know, you have to be 18 years old. Yep. But, you know, there is a review process and you, you can't be laundering, you know, dirty money. And there, there's invest, you know, you have to have a 
a FINRA registered broker dealer that you know covers the compliance aspect of the raise. But this is part of what I learned in you know the ways to do this are using a platform. Many people have maybe heard of recently startengine.com or seedinvest.com, which actually StartEngine just bought. But that's a platform. They give you a one kind of flat fee to do everything for you. They're your broker dealer. They are your transfer agent. They handle all of the thousands of investors that come in and are now on your cap table. They manage all the marketing, do the outreach and the campaign, the creative materials. They take a fee, you know, for that and a percentage of your equity of your raise. But the other way to do it that I learned is you can self-host. You can use a transfer agent partner as your equity fundraising partner as a platform for investors to use, but you own the data. So you have your own website and it costs a little bit more money to do that. But the difference is by using a platform, it's like opening up a pop-up stand in a pedestrian mall. And you're trying to attract everybody in that mall that's in the Start Engine mall who has multiple choices to invest their money into to come to your company. Whereas you have your own mall or your own website established that all they're hearing about is your company and your product solution. And you own all the data where if you work with a platform, you don't own all those email addresses, and that data that you can analyze and figure out what's working and what's not. So that's why I suggested to Dimacron that we do it on our own, that we have a self-hosted platform, which we initiated in early February, late January, early February. So we're just a couple of months into this now. It's exciting because you get to get direct contact with people, Main Street individuals that don't normally get access to private insider deals with private companies, especially innovative companies that have something that's going to change the future. They normally don't get a chance to profit or benefit off of that by being an early investor. That's the message that we can deliver that for, for example, the minimum investment for Dimacron is $1,000. For $1,000, you can buy 174 Dimacron shares valued and priced at $5.75 a share today and benefit as the company continues to progress and hit milestones of achieving U.S. clinical you know, experience within an FDA trial, completing an FDA trial, and getting to a point where a larger strategic like a J&J or a striker or someone without an artificial disc that needs one ends up either licensing or acquiring this company or this product at a much higher valuation. Wow, very interesting. And so this was not able to be done just a few years ago. No, and still today, there's, besides Monogram, ourselves, you can count on two hands, you know, the med tech companies that are trying this because, you know, there wasn't a lot known about it. So for me, you know, I was able to convince my board that, we should try this. We have an expensive bill ahead of us to pay for an FDA trial that we need to get through, that we know how Mm -hmm. to get through with a product that already has 600 patients walking around, you know, 600 discs walking around in Europe over the past eight years doing very well. So it's not just a napkin sketch idea. So a lot of the risks have been mitigated by Dimacron. So that's what's exciting for me. I'm excited to be kind of at the forefront of this new area of 
Many people refer to it as the democratization of capital raising and investing. So it's not just for the insiders in the back smoke-filled back rooms of Wall Street and elsewhere of JP Morgan conferences that the average investor doesn't get a chance to take a look at. Well, that's fascinating. And I'll tell you, Ted, and I told you this on our call, I have so many founders and or surgeons and or a group of people who their major struggle, and I'm talking and everybody right now is nodding their head who's listening to this podcast who's ever tried to raise money is they'll tell me their number one struggle is raising capital. And some of them don't even try to do it because just it's daunting to think about doing that. And I'm yeah. sure you've experienced that with several of the founders that you deal with. Absolutely. And even in the last year, you know, 2022 was not a great, you know, economic financial, you know, picture, you know, I, the IPO market, the general funding market became even more difficult in the second half of last year as inflation skyrocketed. And and then we kick off this year with banks collapsing and people making a run on the bank at Silicon Valley Bank, which was very much a med tech VC partnered banks. So that even made the venture capital market even more difficult for innovative startups. So that makes the equity crowdfunding option more interesting, I think. And last year alone, even in a difficult year, $1.3 billion was raised in equity crowdfunding. That pales in comparison to what was raised overall in the private markets, you know, institutional capital. It was actually $43 billion. But hey, it's a long way from where it was just Eight years earlier, where it was only about a hundred, you know, to two hundred fifty million was being raised. So they're already over a billion. I think in today's environment, with digital management of cap tables, of people's comfort online, of attending webinars, of mm-hmm. learning materials, of studying things, and being able to, at a click of a button, you know, make decisions for five hundred dollars for a thousand dollars a pop. I think it's a new day. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. And it's going to change the game, it sounds like, for sure. And like I said, I had a conversation over the weekend with the founder of a new product. And I kind of mentioned, have you ever, and it was like I was speaking a foreign language. He had no idea. And he's got a very innovative product that he's thinking about. And so he was very intrigued. So this is fascinating. So I know there are quite a few people that this can help listening to the podcast right now. So I do appreciate that kind of information. And obviously, when this does work for you at Dimacron, you're involved with some other companies that you're advising. So I'm sure they're excited to hear how your success goes with this. Yeah, no, my network in general, as I've shared with my friends and colleagues that we started looking into this and that we were likely, you know, got the decision and approval to move forward with it. Everyone has said, I'm glad you're doing it, Ted. I'm glad you're doing it. And I'm, and it's not me, but yeah. I'm really interested to see how it goes. So far, we're very encouraged about the momentum we have. You know, we have almost $2 million of financial commitment at the top of our funnel just after a couple of months. And, you know, we're not going out and trying to raise $75 million, you know, at the max to the cap. But, you know, this raise is $15 million for Dimacron, which is at five seventy-five with a $1,000 minimum. So it's pretty easy. You just go to invest.dimacron.com, and that landing page basically tells the story and will help walk any interested you know, investor or person through the process. Plus, we'll be continuing to educate and update interested parties and investors on our progress, doing webinars every two to three weeks. We have one coming up next week where I'm having two of our top customer surgeons in Germany 
come on and talk about their decision-making process to start using our Triodime C artificial disc and, you know, how they're doing with that product and, you know, talk in general about the movement of motion versus fusion in the cervical spine, which, you know, has tremendous growth potential going forward. Well, that's fascinating. So everybody who's listening, invest.dimacron and dimacron spelled D-Y-M-I-C-R-O-N dot com. And so if you've ever wanted to invest in a medical technology, here's one you can invest in. You can do it. And it's funny because I speak to a lot of CEOs of small med tech companies that are trying to get going. And one of their biggest frustrations is this. They have someone who's going to invest whatever that number is, a couple million dollars, and it gets down to like two days before it's supposed to happen and they go, I'm sorry, I can't do this now. And it's a huge, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a gut punch for them. And this gut punch is removed for you with this because they're investing and you know you can you can look at the meter (laughs) at the meter but you know you can look and see where you are and it's not one of these where you're relying on this large institutional investor or individual to invest and just crossing your fingers that it happens that day yeah no you go down the pathway and you do have a dashboard where you can see and also the great thing about self-hosting your own raise is you can have your marketing partner your digital marketing partner which is one of the most important partners to have as an experienced online digital marketing partner. Many Mm -hmm. of us today with our cell phones are looking at or scrolling through our social media feed. And maybe yesterday or over the weekend, you looked at Mercedes recreational vehicles or SUVs, just because maybe you're in the market for one. And all of a sudden an ad pops up unannounced of a Mercedes, Mercedes deal. And those are these online marketing digital people. They are unbelievable how they can follow and track people and continue to come back around which is you know, the way it's done. So, you know, I've learned and I'm happy to help any listeners of your audience, Eric. They can reach me, look at me, find my profile on LinkedIn and share my experience because I personally believe in paying it forward and a rising tide, you know, all the boats, you know, float, you know, together. So, and I really have a passion for particularly startups and innovation and disruption that's going to allow our field to progress and and bring better products and solutions to patients. And that's really what it's all about. So, well, Ted, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on today and discussing what you're doing because it's fascinating. And again, if people want to get in touch with Ted, please find him on LinkedIn and please reach out to him because this is a wonderful new way for those who are looking to raise capital. And he's doing it. He's done it. And it's fascinating. So, Ted, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do this again soon. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.